Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the History of Gear, Steen Danielle, an artist who specializes in centering the voices of people of color in outdoor spaces, speaks at the Outdoor History Summit about their time in the Outdoor Recreation Archive and her research as a 2022 Outdoor Recreation Archive Fellow. Uh, thank you to those in the audience joining us today and to Chase for inviting me to speak about my art practice. It's an honor to be amongst esteemed artists, archivists, curators, and researchers of this year's Outdoor History Summit. Uh, so my name is Dean Danielle. I am an artist and outdoor enthusiast currently residing in the greater Toronto area on the traditional and ancestral territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit, Seneca, and Huron-Wendat. This past summer, I traveled to Logan on a research fellowship from the Outdoor Recreation Archive. Today, I'll be speaking about my ongoing project that examines outdoor recreational spaces as informed by my experience as a participant in outdoor recreation in North America. I'll share my process and speak on how archives have come to shape my work. Uh, to begin, I'd like to share some background information about myself. At the age of three, I emigrated to Canada from the Philippines. Growing up in southeastern Ontario, I had few experiences outdoors that were limited to elementary school field trips in and around the Niagara Escarpment, as well as front country camping trips with large groups of other Filipino families along the Bruce Peninsula of Georgian Bay. Brief nature walks were done in flip-flops and camping trips often included rice cookers. At the age of 22, I fell in love and entered into a long distance relationship that would have me live between the greater Toronto area and the San Francisco Bay area for four years. I consider this to be an especially formative time as it was because of this relationship that was introduced to hiking and backcountry camping. Shortly before the relationship ended in 2020, I'd already begun to put a few of my experiences outdoors into writing. Through this exercise, I not only communicate the upsides of my experiences, I also detail the discomfort I felt doing much of these activities with limited experience or knowledge. After the relationship ended, I went through a period of reevaluation with myself, with my role as an artist, and my relationship with the outdoors. With this in mind, I decided to pursue grad school in 2021. As an MFA candidate in studio art at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, Transitioning into the Midwest was very difficult. While in Lincoln, I did not have as much access or time to be able to go make work outdoors without the responsibilities that grad school requires. I miss my loved ones and I constantly crave the spaces I'd grown up with in Ontario. 
And it was because of this that I turned to the writing that I'd done a year prior. While I am grateful to have been introduced to outdoor recreation through this past relationship, I recognized in my writing that I often touched on the nuances of my former partner's passive aggressions, the comments that they would make on how dark my skin would get the longer we spent outside in the sun, or the way that they would minimize my fears while backpacking or traveling to new places. I recognized, too, that this writing had become a document, an unfinished autobiography or personal archive guided by questions of being and belonging, wherein I navigate my fears, shifting comfortability, and at times my dependency on another. In the context of my art practice, as one deeply rooted in photography, I began to think about my own relationship to the medium and how it often functions in a subversive way through the act of recording an objective place, person, or thing. With this in mind, I used my writing as a jumping off point to create new work through a number of intersections. I had to ask myself, what does it mean for me to be a participant in outdoor recreation in North America? How does that meaning change in the context of being a woman of color? How am I perceived or how do I perceive myself in outdoor recreational spaces? Such questions led me to multiple writers, researchers, and educators, notably to whom does this place belong, whiteness and diversity in outdoor recreation and education by Yu Chen Jade Ho and David Chang, The Outdoors as Contested Leisure Terrain by Catherine Dashford and Jason King, and Race, Ethnicity, and Use of the National Park System by Dr. Myron Floyd. The latter in particular inspired me to look for opportunities to use my own personal archive with existing archives. This first led me to the National Park Service's Harper Ferry Center for Media Services, known as CHFC. For 51 years, the HFC has worked on behalf of visitors while supporting the development of an accessible and inclusive approach to the NPS, a federal agency that came into being through the dispossession of indigenous populations and exclusion of people of color. As a result, the HFC has been put to task to appeal to America's growing diverse audiences. Functioning within the HFC is the NPC, an NPS history collection, compri which comprises over 5 million documents and roughly 400,000 photographic images. It encompasses the creation of the NPS, its visitors, as well as its surrounding businesses in the past. It is an intimate and informative collection that is also inherently exclusive. These are white visitors, white business owners, and white men in office whose voices sweep throughout the archive. A search for the keywords African-American, Asian, Hispanic, Native, or Indigenous reveal limited but unsurprising results. African-Americans are heavily portrayed in protests or making labor. Both Native Americans and Asians are presented as performers, trusts, and traditional garments, and are seldom shown outside of labor as well. There are no Hispanic people visible, only white visitors touring around buildings labeled Hispanic. Native Indigenous revealed more results, but are predominantly images titled Native Biology. As such, the collection monopolizes whiteness and reaffirms stereotypes of IBPOC as being exclusive to labor, performance, and protest. The most notable example of this is an illustration depicting through the use of a cutout photo, the face of the second director of the NPS and Presidential Medal of Freedom Award winner Horace Albright, a, a cartoon-like body resembling cartoons at a drive-in. The image is described as uh, Albright's face on the body of a cartoon figure from an Asian man trying to clean his clothes. While such unnerving results are not exclusive to this particular archive, there is something to be said about how archives can offer themselves to work collaboratively with the communities that they have historically excluded in order to create a fuller representation of their history and experiences to collections. 
in regards to my own practice, I wanted to create work that would allow me to insert my own experience, either by creating new work or appropriating old documents. I wanted to see how far I could push my understanding of what images are, how they exist in multiple contexts. What does it mean to take something that exists, whether it be a physical structure or documents that stand as a marker or trace of a person, place or thing, and subvert it through my own understanding? How do I begin to inhabit and make these spaces my own? At the start, it was pressed upon me to view and gather screenshots of campsites in Canada and the United States on Google Maps, another form of a modern archive. Through this exercise, I found numerous campsites with a tent pad that is a designated area at a campground that eliminates the need to find a suitable spot to pitch a tent. I grew fascinated by these structures, not only because it makes the experience of camping more comfortable and at times accessible, but because it is a demarcation of space. Inspired by this typology, I decided to reconstruct a physical tent pad myself. Here, I reference land artist Robert Smithson's idea of the site versus non-site, that is, the site referencing the physical raw reality of a location and the non-site as a sample or reflection of the reality displayed elsewhere. Uh, in other words, I want to reconstruct the tent pad outside of its original context to create a simulation of a space, one that is my own. I, in addition to the reconstruction, I also wanted to mimic the process of pitching a tent where I am solely visible. In practicing and performing these skills myself, I re-embody actions that others have used before me and bring into question who is often depicted in these actions. Thus, the reconstruction of the tent pad becomes a site of possibility for rebuilding and representation. Motivated by other structures found in outdoor recreational spaces, I built a message board or what the National Park Service calls a visual information system or VIS. Typically located by trailheads, the VAFs serves to help visitors with trail directionals, resource protection, and safety. In some respects, this board meets expectations in its structure and some of its information. Upon closer inspection, however, it is interspersed with images from the NPS archive or from my own personal archive. Um, so instead of referencing one particular place, this VIS references a number of outdoor recreational spaces I've explored. This transforms the VIS into a mind map, one that allows me to re-perform autobiography, process my participation, and bring into question the images of these spaces, what is shown, what is hidden, and how these images implicate the space. Some of the pieces that I include in this VIS is a series of breach trail maps, which is on the left. These maps of the longest and oldest marked hiking trail in Canada are attached together in different orientations so as to subvert the expectations of reading a map as you normally would on a typical VIS. Its inclusion is specific in that I've been section hiking the Bruce Trail over the past couple of years solo and on occasion with friends. Um, I also include a plague caution sign that mimics that of plague caution signs found in and around Northern California. I also include a photograph from the NPS history collection of employees lined in a row with a mountain in the backdrop. Here, I lean into some humor and I create a shallow cut dividing the founders from the landscape horizontally and use a perforator to uh, divide the men, allowing the viewer to perceive the image and pull off a narrow cut of a man should they wish. Once each individual man is removed, what remains is an image of the mountains. Uh, followed by that, there's also a square cropped image taken at the SRAM recreational area in the Platte River Valley of Gretna, Nebraska. In the geological display of the park, I photographed brown shale rock held up against my hand, showing the similarities of the rock's color to that of my own skin. 
And lastly, I also include a manila divider pinned flat and open against the VIS. On it are a stack of found images of IBPOC outdoors, bulldog clips on one end so as to encourage viewers again to flip through the stack of images. This is one of the images that are included in that stack. And this image in particular is sourced from USU's Outdoor Recreation Archive. So the inclusion of these images were important as they are in some of the oldest outdoor catalogs that feature IBPOC. These are only but a few of the many images found during my time at the archive. To this day, I feel so lucky to have had the enormous privilege of working with Clint and Monique and Clayton, everyone else at the archive to whom I would like to take the opportunity again to thank for their hard work and support. So prior to receiving this fellowship, I proposed to work with the printed material of the archive to explore the visual legacy of outdoor companies in North America. I was interested in two things. One, building on my current research to create deeper connections between my lived experience outdoors and my artistic practice. And two, exploring how the representation and participation of IBPOC outdoors has been proliferated or excluded. Upon receiving the fellowship, I spent just short of two weeks at the archive reviewing catalogs of brands such as REI, MEC, Patagonia, and the North Face, among others. As I parsed through numerous boxes of ephemera, I would place slips of paper between signatures in need of scanning, as well as writing down my own observations. For example, I noted that REI represented more IBPOC in comparison to other brands starting in the 60s. Other brands such as Patagonia and North Face prior to the 1990s rarely had diverse representation, but when they did, they were locals of a particular place or were depicted in relation to labor rather than participating in outdoor recreation. After this process, I reviewed all the signatures in need of scanning a second time around and organized them under three categories that will later serve as inspiration for future work. Uh, so those three categories are women in IBPOC, equipment and apparel, and text. Uh, with these three categories, my plan is to reference these historical images in a way that will challenge, renegotiate, or reinterpret its original narrative. In addition to having access to the archives collection and facilities, another benefit is having access to many of the incredible landscapes Utah has to offer. As my time at the fellowship coincided with Memorial Day weekend, I used my time off to visit Antelope Island and filmed myself setting up camp at the island's Ladyfinger Campground, which so happened to have a tent pad. I began this project from a place of intuition and learned to rely on what I learned from my lived experiences outdoors. But until this point, the work largely separated myself from the actual spaces I was researching, referencing, and making work about. On Antelope Island, that finally changed. It was through research and archives that I came to recognize outdoor recreation as a fork space between inclusion and exclusion. With this knowledge and inform informing my work, I found a means in which I could process the dichotomy of the space, what it is, how it is experienced, and who it is intended for. As this work continues, I see my role to be a maker who parses through history, makes interpretations, and who carves out space and places where there were none. So, thank you. And I believe, is there time for questions? There, yeah, definitely yeah. is. Yeah, and we have one cool. so far in the chat. Cool. All right, let's see. Oh, my bad. Here we go. Uh, what years do you see POC models appearing, and how do you account for the shift? Um, I started in particular noticing outside of REI that more were being shown in the 1990s. Um, and that was in particular really interesting to me 
Um, because personally, I would have maybe assumed that after the civil rights movement that we would have been seeing more POC being represented. Um, so I'm not entirely sure. I might, I would think at the top of my head that what could be related are themes of immigration um, with more immigrants coming into North America. Um, but otherwise, I'm not very sure. And that's a really good question. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. Yeah. Oh, Katie, I'm a fan. Thank you for the comment. <laughs> um, so right now I am applying for grants as is part of uh, being an artist. And that's probably one of the most stressful parts of, of being an artist. Um, but currently or in the, past, in the recent past, I was installing the work while I was a MFA student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I've currently had to pause my um, academics there due to personal reasons. However, I'm really excited to start applying for local galleries here in Ontario. Um, also hoping to collaborate with other women of color who are also artists who are making work on similar themes and hopefully doing an outdoor installation. Um, outside of that, I think the response has been really wonderful. I remember that when I first started talking about the project, I didn't know where it was going to go because largely my work prior to that dealt with memory and was more documentary based work. Uh, specifically, I was making a lot of work in regards to my relationship with my grandmother as she was going through Alzheimer's and our changing relationship. So it was a huge shift in my work. Um, but luckily have gotten a lot of support and I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Steen, there's another question here about um, if, if a part of your research um, and work here is, is there a focus on women and women of color as a part of this specifically? Um, For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And that goes hand in hand with me identifying as a woman of color. Um, that is something I definitely want to prioritize. And also I'm seeing another question here. Uh, how can we be more active advocate allies for you and other artists? Uh, sharing our work, that could be sharing it on social media, that could be suggesting our work to a curator, a researcher, an institution that you know, um, thinking about other ways that we can show work. It doesn't have to be inside a gallery or museum. That's why I'm a huge fan of of outdoor installations. And when I think about my work, that's often how I think about it. Um, and also continuing to ask how you can support um, myself or other artists that will always change over time. Support can look different from sharing the work. It could be, hey, do you need help carrying that wood? Or do you need help with other resources? Like, do you need, know another printer? Um, Things like that. I think, yeah. Oh, what's this? Do you feel as though growing up in Ontario GTA around quintessential Canadian summer outdoors culture, working at camp, going tree planting, canoe tripping, cottages, structured the lens with which you create your art, especially when considering that these activities are not truly accessible? Absolutely. I touch in the very beginning that my experiences outdoors were very limited. Um, 
when we went camping, we actually borrowed gear. We never had our own tent or headlamps or sleeping bags. I remember that the tarp that we put underneath our tent was also oversized because we didn't know that it had to be as much smaller size underneath our tent. Um, and I think that the Beaverton, which is a publication here in Canada that is um, popular for its ironic humor, uh, there was an article that was released some time ago that um, brown people can only go camping and cottaging or canoe tripping uh, with their white friends. Um, so it always felt like there was a separation. And I think that's still felt today. More and more, I feel like a lot of things are becoming more accessible. In Toronto, we have a bus shuttle that picks up people in downtown Toronto and drops them off in nearby parks, such as Algonquin Provincial Park. So I feel like that is definitely improving, um, but it's definitely impacted my lens in which I create my art for sure. Um, and I think that's going to change over time too, as I start to do things more on my own um, and also work with or go to outdoor places with uh, other people of color. How's the best way to keep up with your work, Steen? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's Steen underscore underscore Danielle. I want to post more work. If you follow me, maybe I'll be more encouraged to. Um, you can also email me at steendaniellephoto at gmail.com. I also have a website, which is steendaniellephoto.com, where I show some of my work. Um, feel free to ask me questions share artists of color that you know, work whose work that you think is related to this. I would love to also be in contact with them. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.